Generative AI can be used across government to increase efficiencies, improve service delivery, strengthen cybersecurity, and speed decision-making. It can be truly transformative. But as federal agencies work through their modernization roadmaps, some have difficulty moving generative AI projects from pilot to enterprise-wide integration. Add concerns from the public about the perceived dangers of Gen AI, as well as potential oversight legislation from Congress, and agencies may hesitate to fully embrace the technology. In this episode of Meritalking, I'm joined by Kevin Chin and Jackson Scott from Lidos, a technology company with more than 20 years of experience in developing AI and machine learning capabilities. Kevin is Director of Generative AI at Lidos, and Jackson is a Senior Research Scientist with the company's AI and Machine Learning Accelerator. We'll explore how agencies can prepare their systems and teams to move generative AI projects from pilot to enterprise-wide implementation to realize the full potential of this emerging technology. Kevin and Jackson, welcome. We're so glad you could join us today. Thank you very much. Uh, we are really excited to be here today uh, to discuss how you operationalize generative AI across the government. So thank you for having us. Yep, I can say the same thing. Thanks. Really excited to talk about it. Great. Let's get started. Kevin, so let's talk about the elephant in the room with AI to start, the negative public perception. We've seen a good amount of negative press about the use of generative AI tools like ChatGPT, with Congress considering legislation and the Biden administration calling for industry to commit to the safe, secure, and transparent development of AI technologies, how is public perception impacting generative AI implementation across government? Yeah, thank you for the question. We're certainly living in uh, very exciting times. Uh, there is definitely a strong interest and a huge level of excitement across um, all levels of government on how generative AI can be used. Uh, we'll get a bit more into it later on specifically which use cases and how generative AI can help. But you're correct. Uh, there's a lot of negative perception out there of AI, whether it's taking away jobs, there is um, a lot of discrimination and bias, or general the trustworthiness and the safeness of the AI result. Um, so, what we're seeing across the government is a very cautious yet optimistic approach uh, to implementing generative AI. There are certain pockets of activity today where they are implementing, but until we address that trustworthiness and the safe concerns, uh, we're gonna continue to see that cautious skepticism. So luckily uh, you probably are all aware that the President Biden and the White House released that executive order the last few days of October. And in that order, we began to see a lot of the governance, risk analysis, and compliance, otherwise known as GRC. They're recommending a lot of implementation of different tools and standards. So it's good in different ways to measure that through metrics to address all those concerns that we talked about in the beginning. So a lot of the executive orders around privacy, discrimination, the civil rights, and how you address bias and measure bias. And that's really enabled to build trust uh, across the government. Jackson, do you have anything? Yeah, I think that the public perception's impact on generative AI implementation highlights a conversation that we've been having here at Lighthouse for quite a while, and that's the vital importance of human-machine partnering 
and the vital importance of letting that message be heard that it's not that we're replacing people with technology, but that we're marrying the two together in interactive and synergistic relationships that will ultimately result in better workflows, in better productivity, and better job satisfaction, because you're able to focus more on what matters uh, more quickly, and you're able to do it better. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. That human and team partnering, that is so key to build out that trustworthiness. And so that executive order actually builds out that metrics for that. But that is so key. That is the underlying theme of successfully implementing generalized human-machine partnership. Right. And putting the humans and the machines together to do more things and better things to benefit humanity. And so the idea of overcoming these trust issues with Gen AI, maybe with some quick wins, can you talk a little bit about what are some quick win projects for generative AI right now that could build some of that trust? Yes, absolutely. I'd love to, to be able to respond to that. One thing that we think is super important is using generative AI to improve your company's or agency's ability to interact with your own information. One of the most transformative areas that generative AI is illuminating right now is the ability to take all of your own internal data and then interact with it in a natural language conversation. And that's actually quite an easy, quick win. And we're talking about a few different technologies at play there that are all generative in nature. So one of those things would be the condensation of materials. You can take pictures, images, and condense it down into a natural language summation or response. If you have a team meeting that you've recorded on Microsoft Teams, Generative AI can automatically transcribe that, and then you can search it up and interact with it later on. So one of the biggest quick wins is that, just empowering people and agencies to interact with the information they already have, but in a more exciting and naturalistic way. You know, quick wins, I, I think uh, across the different uh, parts of the government, understanding and identifying simple use cases, as Jackson had alluded to, right? Those simple use cases and understanding where AI and where the efficiency gains are, and then pinpointing those injection points, doing that iteratively and knowing that process of how to insert AI to make that, that interaction much easier. That's where I think the quick wins come from. It's not a big project. You take it a little at a time, simple use cases with identified places to inject AI over time. Seeing a lot in the quick wins is around the, um, the QA question and answering over a large corpus of data as well as software. How do you do a lot of software translation? How do you modernize from a legacy piece of software to a more modern piece of software? Those are use cases that can be implemented easily today with generative AI. Yeah. And um, I speak from the heart on some of those because that's actually some of the, the work I, I do here at Lidos is empowering our solutions personnel to interact with their data in ways that they've never seen before. That must be really exciting. <laughs> it is. It is very exciting. Kevin, you spoke about using generative AI iteratively. And as agencies continue working through their modernization roadmaps, 
what should they be doing to get started with Gen AI and go through this iterative process to grow their capabilities? Yeah, uh, it really goes back to identifying those use cases and understanding within your organization, your own business workflows. Understand how we can inject the automations within those particular workflows to make things more efficient. How you do that, you may have a long workflow, whether it's supply chain or you're doing a big software development project or you're doing data analysis. And everything we do, there's always those workflows. You pinpoint certain pieces after you fully understand those workflows and you're like, okay, I think I can make this piece of the workflow more efficient. And let's try and interject AI there. And once that goes, let's attack maybe the, a different area of the, could be the same workflow, could be a different workflow. But that's what I mean by the iterative process. Now in doing that, you're going to have lessons learned. The lessons learned will fuel those parameters to make future decisions. So what I mean by that is uh, when you're implementing generative AI, there's a lot of uh, solution architecting that we have always been doing. And there's a lot of different decision points along the way. So you may be hearing some terms like prompt engineering or fine tuning or um, domain adaption. All three of those are different approaches to implementing generative AI into your workflow. And as you do this iteratively, you'll understand which one of those is the best way at certain places in the workflow. In doing that also, there's cost implications in terms of infrastructure and how you, how you deal with it. That has to be done in an iterative nature. It, it can't be done in, the, in just one big falsehood. Yeah, I agree. I think that also one of the most important things to consider is what does your data look like? So let's say you have this problem you want to solve. What data is actually going to be moving through that pipeline? And to codify this a little bit, um, what are the security implications around that data? Where does it need to live? So for example, Lattice is a lot of classified work. We can't exactly send that information to the open internet and use Google Cloud to compute and crunch those numbers. Instead, what we're going to do and what we're, we have done is stand up hybrid cloud solutions that will allow us to elastically scale our classified environments and bring that cloud computation directly connected to these classified environments, which allows the classified data to make use of these cloud tools without actually fringing on any type of security constraints. If there is a medical team and they have HIPAA data, that needs to live in a certain spot. And so figuring out where your data needs to go and how you plan to make use of these elastic cloud resources, either through on-premises technology on the cloud in another country, that is a very important piece of the pie to figure out. And it's a good place to start, I think, when you're trying to look at scaling up and beginning these generative AI solutions. Yeah, Jackson, that's a really good point. Data is such a key and essential component in implementing uh, generative AI. You know, out there in industry, it's really fast moving. It changes a lot. Different models come online all the time. But it's really important to know that different models are for maybe for specific types of data. And in your use case and in your workflow, you, you may need different types of models as you are crunching different types of data. 
So to answer your question, how do you get started really understanding your workflow as well as the data at that piece of the workflow? So important. Yeah, definitely. And how that's going to move around or be cataloged or tracked. You know, it's it's one thing to to want to do AI and machine learning, and it's another to get the data ready for it. And it's often a very tedious task. And um, it's a very important one to begin with. That's great. Thank you. Jackson, to be successful with Gen AI, we also know that implementations need to be maintained over the long term and that deployment should be trustworthy and reliable. And as Kevin mentioned, uh, the Biden administration has recently put out some specific direction with that regard. From your perspective, what should agencies be aware of when we talk about maintaining a trustworthy and reliable generative AI solution? I think that's a good question. It's a natural follow-up. Well, after you get started, what do you do to keep it there and keep it well-oiled and running? And the answer is, it kind of goes back to really knowing your data. So there's a bit of a paradigm shift with traditional software and maintaining that in a deployed state versus maintaining a deployed machine learning solution. The machine learning solution is a bit more dynamic and probabilistic in nature. And it's going to function based off of what you're continuously feeding it, right? But if what you're feeding it begins to change over time or decay, maybe because of the way your users' behaviors are changing, they're the sources of that data, your model, which was initially trained up and deployed on a different set of information, is going to behave differently. And so you've got to be able to have an eye on the type of information that is being fed to your model over time. And you have to have uh, guards in place that can tell you when that information is changing, because then that will let you know when your model behavior might start to decay. And in the same sense, whatever your model is producing also has characteristics and its own set of qualities. Being able to mathematically say, all right, well, it looks like this and it, I know it will behave in this way and watch for a change in a trend over time, that will let you know when you need to make updates or maintain your solution. And one last thing I'll say is that not every solution will have a static behavior over the long term, right? I'm sure credit card companies always brace for the holidays when all of the spending habits change and increase compared to the rest of the year. Their models have to work with that. There are machine learning fraud detection models that will be able to handle that dynamic change over their normal usage patterns. So these are all things to keep in mind when we're talking about maintaining a trustworthy solution in my mind. Yeah, Jackson, you're talking about really monitoring, right? Monitoring data in, monitoring data out, and being able to understand those trends. That is really key to the operationalization of the Gen AI. I, I want to add also data platform that uh, you're running on, the governance of it, all, all that, the data monitoring, the data in and out, the trending, that's all part of the data governance. So data governance is a critical factor in the uh, sustainment and operationalization of generative AI solutions. And Kevin, how can industry support federal technology teams in operationalizing Gen AI projects and addressing some of these processes and challenges? You know, there's a lot of uh, startups coming up <laughs> all the time, a lot of changes, but how can they support it? 
really embracing the existing principles of an open platform, open standards. And that's what the executive order is trying to do is reinforce those open standards. There's a big push in industry right now to move to platforms where you may be able to implement generative AI solutions with a wide variety of different skill sets and then providing a platform. But it's very important that industry out there doesn't slip back into these monolithic architectures of the past back 20, 30 years ago, where we had all that under one, the data, the data governance, the analytic and the customer experience all under one in a closed door. So embracing open standards, making them all those models that are coming online accessible modularly through application programming interfaces known as APIs and being able to really mix and match different technology together. That is what's really key. And then lastly, making sure you have a secure environment to host all your analytics and your data. Now, what I mean by secure environments, it could be in a cloud service provider, it could be on-prem. It deals with all those different requirements, knowing uh, the requirements, knowing your use case we set up front. As Jackson said, we have a lot of experience with different customers and different security environments. So having that plethora of secure environments is really important also. Yeah, I agree. I think that it's vitally important that we all push for open standards because what team supports one project might not be the same team that supports it the next day. And being able to maintain these systems over the long term is going to be crucially dependent on open standards that we're all in the same game to support. And I also think I couldn't agree more with with Kevin when he was talking about being able to meet the federal agency's security constraints and requirements where they are at and being able to scale up as needed when the job needs to be done. Jackson and I were talking actually, there, there's this new concept called cloud 2.0, right? Cloud 2.0 is the encompassing of how do you not only address the cloud elasticity and the infrastructure level, but really going across how do you implement infrastructure with the models, with the customer experience, and how do you build that as a platform and enable that for customers? So that's where the industry is really embracing that and that overarching cloud 2.0. Yeah, definitely. We're seeing a change in a lot of ways and incorporating more devices than ever before. Things on the edge, your refrigerator even maybe one day might be connected to one of these networks. And it's very exciting. We're seeing a lot of multi-industry ecosystems uh, begin to really flourish. It's really, really exciting. Thank you so much for sharing your insights today. And uh, before we let you go, I just want to ask, is there any final advice that you can offer to IT leaders as they consider generative AI projects? Yes, definitely. My piece of advice would be to not forget all of the wonderful history behind implementing IT that we've built up so far. Uh, Speaking as a a researcher, I can tell you firsthand that a generative AI solution is not just the generative AI component. And in fact, most of our conversation today has been about infrastructure and data. And that is a bell that rings true for any machine learning solution that you want to implement. It's so much more than just the machine learning piece. It's the configuration, the data collection, the serving infrastructure, the monitoring pipelines, all of these pieces 
which are great in their size and take a lot of work from a lot of different diverse people to put together. It's all one big system that works together. So I would say, don't just focus on the generative piece, keep the holistic, comprehensive solution in mind. And also be mindful that a generative AI team is more than just a research scientist or a data scientist. There are software engineers, machine learning engineers, and data engineers that all need to come together, as well as the business personnel. Exactly what Jackson said. Make sure you track all the stuff that we've been doing for IT, which includes that iterative approach we talked about, a focus on data, the, the monitoring, the infrastructure, the skill sets. All those pieces are part of a generative AI solution. It's not just the model piece. And then going forward, we really embrace this here at Lighthouse is really looking at how we implement generative AI is a twofold thing. It's both the technology piece as well as the methodology piece. And you have to pay equal attention to both sides. Got to build out the technology piece, but how you implement that from a methodical perspective, working with your customers and to enable that trust where you're going to inject those automations, both sides are equally important to have a successful generative AI project. Absolutely. One of the things that I am continuously impressed with is the systematic and methodical approach of everyone here when it comes to working with our own internal teams, bringing on our customers, educating them in the technology and delivering successful solutions. I think that from the ground up, an approach like that, one that we have here at Lighthouse is vitally important for anyone to adopt. Well, thanks, Kevin and Jackson. I think you've shared some actionable advice that our listeners can take away and put to use immediately. We're so glad you were able to join Ameritalk today. It's been a pleasure having you. Thank you very much. I really enjoyed uh, the discussion and uh, taking the time. Absolutely. Thanks, Gail. It's been really fun to come and chat and talk about this with you. That's all for today. To learn more about generative AI and Lidos, visit lidos.com slash AI. Have a great day.